Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Michael Hall. I'm the pastor here at Sandoval and Boulder United Methodist Parish. I want to welcome you to our worship service today, both in person and on Facebook Live. I continue to say Sandoval and Boulder United Methodist Parish because we are. We are uh, one parish. We have two locations, one here at Sandoval, where we're at here today, and another out at Boulder. Uh, some good news I can share with you all is we had our first service back at Boulder in a long time. It was a big praise and a big joy, and it's good to see everybody back there today. So that was uh, quite the joy. So those of you who are Boulder members that are looking to get back, and if you want to, uh, we do have a service out of Boulder now at 9 a.m. on Sundays. Uh, it's social distance, so you're safe. Masks are required right now, and um, we uh, have hand sanitizer available and all the all the things that we have here at Sandoval, the only limitation out of Boulder is space. It's a little bit smaller. And so again, for that reason, this is just kind of a reminder, but um, all of our Holy Week services, that being uh, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and then also the sunrise service for Easter, the sunrise service for Easter Sunday, not, not the regular service for Easter Sunday, but the sunrise service for Easter Sunday, will be here at Sandoval United Methodist Church for the purpose of being able to offer it not just for those who are able to come in person, but for those who are still worshiping from, from home. Um, hopefully, uh, as we progress and maybe by the end of the year, hopefully be able to start getting back to where what we originally did is we would have a special service at Sandoval and a special service at Boulder and maybe start working towards getting back to that maybe either by the end of this year or uh, the beginning of the next. But for, for right now, we're going to have them here at Sandoval because also with space, we can have more people here uh, than we would be able to at Boulder right now. Um, but that being said, it was a joy to have church back at Boulder on uh, this morning. Um, besides that, um, I don't really have any other announcements to make. Everything right now is holding steady as far as I can tell. Um, uh, hopefully it will continue to do so. So with that all being said, unless there's anything else that anyone can think of that needs to be announced this morning for uh, the online portion of our service today, uh, let's open with a word of prayer. Gracious, holy, and loving God, Lord, we thank you for this beautiful day that we can be gathered together both in person and in spirit to worship in your house. Lord, we pray your blessings upon us as we worship, that you would speak to us and guide us, that we might learn from your word. We pray for your protection and your well-being upon each and every person who's here, both at, in person and at home. And we pray, Lord, that you would just, that our worship would be pleasing to you and that you would draw us closer to you. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Please join me in our call to worship. Who among you is seeking the wisdom of God? Who among you is seeking God's bright and holy truths? Who among you is seeking a spirit-filled life? God grants God's wisdom generously to all who ask. Come near, people of God, 
let us worship in wisdom and truth.
We come to our time this morning of preparing our hearts to come to God with our joys and our concerns. My encouragement for everyone today is to uh, come to God with a heart of thanksgiving, knowing that all good things come from Him and that we have so much to be thankful for. And that when we come to God with our thanks, whenever we credit Him for the good that He does in our lives, He then calls us to go and use that to share His love with others. And so today, as we bring our joys and concerns to God, let us also be thinking of how we might be the hands and feet of Jesus to those who need it most. Gracious, holy, and loving God, Lord, we come to you, your grateful and thankful people, for this beautiful day that we can come and worship you. We thank you, Lord, for your love and your goodness. We thank you for the joy of your Son, Jesus, that you have given us that we might have new life and relationship with you. Help us, Lord, to be your hands and feet in the world, to be your image bearers in the world, that all might know you and be saved. Lord, we come to you today praying for those who are sick and in need of healing. We pray that you would give comfort and peace to those who are struggling and who are mourning at this time. We pray your peace and mercy be with all who need to experience your uplifting hand in their lives. Holy God, we come to you praying that you would forgive us of our failings, that you would shape us into the image of your Son, that we might be your people. Gracious God, we pray for our 
healers, peacekeepers, and peacemakers, our doctors, nurses, military, and law enforcement, Lord. You guide, direct, and protect them, but most especially let them know that they are never alone, but that you are with them. Lord, we pray for our leaders in government, that you would give them wisdom from on high, that you might work through them to do your will here on earth as it is in heaven until that great day when your son comes again and brings your kingdom here on earth. Holy God, we come to you praying that you would take us and use us to be your hands and feet. We pray for those that do not know you and that through working through us, all people might know you and be saved. Father God, all of these joys and concerns we bring to you today and we lay them down at your feet in the name of your Son, Jesus, knowing you hear our every prayer. And in the power of your Holy Spirit, we continue to pray to you this day the prayer your Son, Jesus, taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Uh, this morning, uh, we're going to have our children's message again uh, today. That's something that we've started getting back to. And uh, we have someone else that's going to do it today. Uh, we have Kelly Dahl that's going to come up here and uh, do the children's message today. So uh, I think Kelly's going to have her, going to have Jonah. And if any of the kids here want to come back this way and can stand and, and watch and listen. But uh, she's going to do it back here. And we're just going to have kind of a moment of uh, silent prayer at this time.
Our scripture for this morning is Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 18. It says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, Here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son, Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told his servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there and then we will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered. And they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood, and Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way. For now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yireh, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. 
Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says, because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your son, your only son. I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. All because you have obeyed me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Up to this point in our Lenten observances, we have looked at the fall of humankind. We began on Ash Wednesday looking at how God called us to be His stewards in the creation living in a direct relationship with Him, learning from Him, being cared for by Him, and working for Him. We were meant to be His image bearers, those who were made in His image that would go into the presence of God and carry His blessings out into the rest of the creation. But we rebelled trying to put ourselves into God's place, even the human family, where we want to find refuge from a broken world is also intrinsically broken as we see the first brothers, Cain and Abel, Cain murdering his brother Abel. The Genesis story is very much about how God intends to make things right again. Genesis is the story that establishes the fact and the reason why the world is the mess that it is. But then it also begins to set in place the mechanisms by which God plans to save it. And he decides to do it through a family. Now if you've been following along and know that this Lenten series is going to be how we see God pointing us to our need for a Savior. In Genesis and Exodus, you may be asking, well, why isn't he talking about Noah and the ark? Clearly, that's a story of of God providing a means by which humanity can be saved from the destruction of the world, which is true. Uh, But in some ways, I kind of want to look at the passages and stories in Genesis that maybe we don't think of as often in that context. Noah is an obvious case of God both condemning sin and saving humanity all in one act. And I tend to like doing things that are a little less obvious a lot of times. I like to dig deep. And it's not to say that Noah's not deep, but it's just a little more obvious. And we know the story so well. I like to get, I like to look at passages that we don't necessarily look at so often. And this one of Abraham and Isaac on the mountain is one that I think a lot of us avoid. I think a lot of us avoid it and for some very obvious, some very obvious reasons that we'll get to here in a minute. But God has decided to save the world through a human family. And that family is Abraham's family. Abraham is a direct descendant of Noah. 
So he's in this line of blessing. You have Adam and Eve. And down from Adam and Eve, then we get Noah. And then down from Noah, we get Abraham. Abraham responds to God's call. God calls him while he's living in the cities in the region that we would call Babylon. Uh, the passage in Genesis that happens just, that kind of is the interlude in between the flood and the start of the, what I call the Abraham epic. Uh, we have the, the Tower of Babel story and that kind of starts to shift the lens over in the direction of where, where Abraham is at because he's actually in the region that we would call Babylon. God calls Abraham to go into a promised land and that he would bless him and use him to bless others. And he's obedient. He goes out from his home country into the land of Canaan and begins to live life as a nomad, meaning that he does not establish any cities. He goes from place to place. Um, he builds a number of altars. And uh, I think my understanding of that culture is you would kind of wander around in a cycle based on the weather patterns and the seasonal patterns. You'd be in one place in one time of the year, another place in another time of the year, and so on until you'd come back full circle to where you started. God has promised to make Abraham a great family. He has promised to use Abraham and his family as the means by which he's going to save the world. He makes a covenant relationship with Abraham. There's this, this moment when God makes his covenant with him. He has Abraham sacrifice these sacrificial animals. They're literally cut in half. And normally the person whose life would be forfeit if they broke the covenant, if they broke the contract, covenant is a high, it's the highest form of contract you can have. Marriage is a covenant, okay? So whoever walks through these broken animals is basically saying to the other person in the covenant, this is going to happen to me if I break the contract with you. An interesting thing happens. It's not Abraham that walks through the bodies of the sacrificed animals. It's this light that is representative of God. So that's the first hint that we're getting that God's going to do something very unusual. So God's made his covenant with Abraham. But Abraham is going to muddle things up all along the way. God has promised to give Abraham a son in his old age so that his line would continue, so that the blessing would go on. And Abraham is going to do just about everything wrong that you can think of in order to make it happen, calling into question Abraham's fitness to be the patriarch of the family that will result in God's salvation coming to the world. So we come to the problem. Abraham had broken just about all of the rules of decency over the years in order to secure his life and have a son, rather than trusting God to keep his promise. God had told Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. Through you, all the world's going to be blessed. I'm going to give you a son, a son of promise. The son is going to be the down payment, knowing that your line will continue forever. 
and that the world's going to be saved. But instead of counting on God to do what God promised to do, Abraham and Sarah both do a lot of things along the way to try to make it happen. And here's one of the things worth pointing out here is that if God has promised you something, if you have if you truly feel like God has put something on your heart and God says you will see this or this will happen, don't try to make it happen on your own. Maybe God will tell you to do certain things along the way that will help result in it, but don't go trying to figure out how you can make it come true all on your own accord because you will inevitably mess up. Case in point. The first is um, a number of times um, as Abraham wanders around from place to place, uh, there are going to be rulers that are interested in Abraham's wife, Sarah. All I can say is for a, a lady in the age that she was, she must have been a knockout because these, these kings and princes are all, are all after her. And Abraham doesn't do a very good job of being the jealous husband that says, no, she's my wife. Says, instead says, oh no, she's just my sister. By here, you know, no problem. Uh, there is some evidence that says maybe this was a half-truth. Um, it was culturally accepted back then to marry your half-sister. And so it's possible that Sarah may have been Abraham's half-sister or a cousin. Seems weird by today's standards, but sometimes that would happen. Um, but as we all know, a half-truth is a whole lie. And so if Abraham's saying, oh, she's my sister, but omits the part, it's like, oh, yeah, she's my wife. He's doing a big disservice. He's doing a disservice to himself. He's doing a disservice to the people that are inquiring about Sarah. And he's doing a big disservice to his wife, who, oddly enough, seems to go along with things a lot. Uh, so that's one. Uh, and then secondly, uh, at the request and permission of his wife, Abraham abuses and misuses uh, Sarah's servant, Hagar. Because Ab uh, Sarah thinks she can't have children and she says, oh, well, I can't have kids. Well, here's my servant, Hagar. Nobody asked Hagar what she felt about this arrangement. Nobody asked her. She is being used as an object here, okay? Um, a, a very good argument could be made for rape here, okay? So, Abraham has done terrible things. And then to add icing on the cake, when Hagar has the son that Abraham wanted and Sarah was hoping Hagar would have, she now resents Hagar for it and treats her like dirt. I have a lot of sympathy for, for Hagar. Um, and then apparently God does too, because when she leaves, uh, God makes some promises to her. And the interesting thing that's going to happen is the Ishmaelites are going to figure into the salvation story uh, as well. So God has kept his promise through Abraham. 
And none of the bad things that Abraham did contributed to the birth of Isaac. In other words, God did it all himself. Abraham didn't need to do all these bad things. And it's very apparent that Abraham probably does not deserve to be the chosen one that God's going to use. And now comes the test. Now comes the test where God is saying to Abraham, do you love me or do you love the things I can give you more? Every day, most of us blow it in one form or another at being the hands and feet of Jesus that we are called to be. We want to do good, but we get distracted by this. We get afraid of that. And before you know it, we have abandoned our post as God's representatives, the image bearers in a fallen world. There is something in our souls that tells us that there must be recompense made for the failures and mistakes of human beings. And C.S. Lewis even references this in his book, Mere Christianity, as he speaks to skeptics who question the existence of God. He says, um, don't you have a sense? Don't we all have some innate sense of fair play? You know, kids, whenever you guys are playing a game and, and one of the others cheats at the game when everyone else is trying to play fair, don't you feel a little bit angry at the person that cheated? Yeah. This is something innate. We're not taught that. We, it's, it's something inside us. We have a sense of fair play that says you're supposed to do the right thing and when you don't do the right thing, a punishment is deserved. And C.S. Lewis says, hey, that's evidence for God's existence because in a state of nature, if there was no order to the universe, it would be survival of the fittest and cheat all you want so that you can get the most that you can. But we know that's not right. We know it's not right. We believe in the need for consequences even when we don't want to experience them ourselves. We want the guilty to be punished, even in the same token, whenever we're the guilty one, we're like giving excuses. Our failure to be the people God called us to be warrants a penalty. And we know the debt must be paid, but we are unable to pay the toll ourselves and live. To truly understand God's request and what's happening here with Abraham and Isaac, we must understand the context. Everywhere in Scripture, it is made very clear that God abhors and detests human sacrifice. Most of the other major cultures surrounding Abraham and that would later surround the people of Israel practiced human sacrifice. And God makes it very clear that he detests this. He is against it. So it's made very clear, and it even says in the passage, this is a test. It is not God's intent to kill the boy. God's intent here is to find out, is Abraham really love God, or is he more interested in what he can get from God? But this, at the same time, still has to be one of the most emotionally gut-wrenching moments in all of the Bible, second only to the crucifixion, I think. And it's appropriate because 
some people don't see this, but whenever I, on Good Friday, am thinking about the crucifixion, I draw a straight line back from that to this moment. Because this is the moment in which God is saying, watch this and pay attention. Because what I do here, I'm going to do on a large scale many years from now. Abraham loves Isaac. He, lo he, he did everything short of committing murder to get Isaac. So to his credit, what we can say is he loves him. Maybe not always in the right way, but he loves him. Abraham, though, has done terrible things in order to get the son of promise. He has put entire nations at stake through lying about his wife. And he molested his wife's servant. These were things God never intended him to do. He was supposed to be the image bearer of what does God expect of us in the world? To be an example of God's love in the world. And he has been failing. The covenant for all tents and purposes is broken before it can even begin. Isaac is grabbed and bound. And, and you must realize that the scriptures are just giving us the facts. Not the raw emotion of the moment. And I've, I've said this, this before, I can, I can imagine Isaac begging his daddy, saying, Why? Why, daddy? What did I do? I can see Abraham with tears pouring down his face, knowing it's nothing that Abraham did. This, this is all him. Everything that is happening here is because Abraham didn't trust God when he should have. I can see him weeping, muttering almost as a question to himself. God will provide. God will provide. Then at the last second, the reprieve. God through his angels says, don't touch him. I know now that you will follow me and trust me. And God provides a sacrifice. Abraham has shown his true faith in spite of his previous failures. This is that moment when every day we're given the choice of the garden over and over again. Will you walk with God trusting in him or are you going to try to do it your way? And Abraham trusted God. And before we just leave here and walk away and say, God will provide, we need to realize that this is a foreshadowing of the sacrifice that would come on Good Friday. Multiple times it says in this passage, Isaac is your son, your only son whom you love. God doesn't ask us to give up our only son, the one that we love. Abraham didn't walk between the sacrificed animals. God did.
We, like Abraham, stand in the docket of God's court and must stand before him realizing our guilt, our failure, even as Christians, to be and do what we should. We fail to do all that we are called to do. Like Abraham, a verdict and a sentence are rendered. But when the time comes to pay the price, the judge steps down and pays it for us. This lamb that God provides must remind us that yes, God provides. But a sacrifice must be made for our failure and it is God who has to pay it dearly. We are now pretty much at the halfway point of Lent. From here we will move on to the book of Exodus for the next couple Sundays and look at how God sends a deliverer to bring his people out of slavery. But the lesson here today is that when the deliverer truly comes, he will have to pay a price that even Moses wouldn't be able to pay. Centuries later, it will be on a hill like this one, Mount Moriah, possibly the same one that Jesus was crucified on. Jesus takes our place as the ram took Isaac's. You're bought at a great price. Sacrifices have been made for you. The question is, what are you going to do with your life in the light that it has been bought at such a high price? Amen. As we continue in our worship today, let us prepare our hearts this morning to share in Holy Communion. And what we will do, we'll do the same as we did um, a month ago. We will have the, the liturgy in which we bless the elements. I'll then put on a mask and have a glove on and ask that you uh, come up one at a time. I will hand you a communion packet and if you'll take it back to your seat and then Esther and I will uh, give a final blessing over the elements and we will, as we share communion up here, you can share in communion in your seat uh, so that we are all sharing it together. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. In love you made us for yourself, and when we had fallen into sin and become subject to evil and death, your love remains steadfast. You bid your faithful people cleanse their hearts and prepare with joy for the Easter feast. That renewed by your word and sacraments and fervent in prayer and works of justice and mercy, we may come to the fullness of grace that you have prepared for those who love you. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, Heaven and earth are full of your glory. 
Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you and blessed is your son, Jesus Christ, whom you sent in the fullness of time to redeem the world. He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. Being born into our likeness, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. He took upon himself our sin and death and offered himself a perfect sacrifice for the sin of the whole world. By the baptism of his suffering, death and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death and made with us a new covenant by water and the spirit. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, he took bread and he broke it and he said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, he took the cup, blessed it and gave it to his disciples and said, Drink from this cup, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink of it. In remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these your mighty acts in Jesus Christ. We offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving. As a living, holy and living sacrifice. In union with Christ's offering for us. As we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world, until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours. Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. table has been set. The meal is prepared. Come as you will and partake in the Lord's Supper.
body of Christ is broken for you. Blood of Christ is shed for you.